Hey everyone, and welcome to the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and joining me on the cast today is my one and only favoritist non-related co-host, Miss Tiffany B. Hello. That's not saying much, is it? It means you're the other one. Yeah, that's what it means. Thanks. But it sounds nice, doesn't it? Almost. I'm trying to... I've been working on my political spinning on how to say things without actually saying anything meaningful. You literally said nothing just now, so that was perfect. If you don't know, this is episode 49 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers, and if you ever want to reach out to us or find us on the interweb, you can find us on Facebook by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers. You can shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. You can join the BGG Guild, number 2077, and check out all the fantastic threads that our main man, Dan Lakata is starting over there, and I'm trying to contribute to. Tiff, why don't you come by the guild sometime? All right, I'll think about it. Everyone, let's let's petition Tiff by tagging her a lot. Can you tag people on BGG? I don't think so. You'd you'd have to harass me on Twitter, but be careful with that. You can also check out our YouTube channel by searching for the League of Nonsense School Gamers. Tiff, anything good over on the YouTube? Lots of your face, I assume. Why did you even ask me? You know I've been gone for the last week. I forgot. I was at Strings Camp, so I didn't post anything, so you're going to have to wait another week, folks. All right, so we'll wait another week, and in the meantime, they can catch up on all your excellent Board of Education and uh, vlogs that are over there, right? It's a a vlog. There's one vlog. But, yeah, sure. (laughs) Do you see what happens when Dan's not around? It's a mess. He is the the epitome of professionalism. (laughs) I'm sorry. I can't not laugh out loud. If you enjoy the show, you can be like our new best friend, Lucas Brooks, who reviewed us on iTunes. Uh, Lucas Brooks says that, I'm assuming Lucas is a male name, so I'm going to say he. He likes our sound quality, which I credit to Tiff, because she is a wonderful editor and she helps me be a better podcaster. Uh, He also likes the games that we cover, which is cool, because we do enjoy a wide variety of games. Now, he seems to be listening to the wrong show though because he likes the intelligent and funny co-hosts which i'm not sure are do we have that is that a feature that we that we broadcast well we have one funny and one intelligent and one other that's right the funny one the intelligent one and the other one is that our tagline no but we should start using those taglines remember when we told everybody we were gonna do that that's true in my heart, I say one every episode. But, <laughs> uh, who's the intelligent one, Tiff? Well, I was going with you. I just wanted to hear you say it. Oh, that's so sad. And the insecure one, I mean. <laughs> anyway, you can also find us on places like Twitter and Instagram. So, episode 49 is going to be a good one. It is just Tiff and I, because Dan is off being an adult, which is the worst excuse, but the most valid. So, we are going to take over and chat about a couple of different things. I am going to chat about my Gen Con preview, some of the games that I've been looking at that are coming out of Gen Con that I'm interested in. I will not be there, because I will be running away to my honeymoon in Europe. So, uh, I'm going to give my picks, and then Tiff and Dan are going to cover theirs on the next episode, so stay tuned for that. Uh, We're going to do a little bit about what we've been playing. Tiff's been at Strings Camp, so we'll see what that entails. I've been playing a bunch of games, we'll chat about them. So, without further ado, let's chat a little bit about what we've been playing. Tiff, how did the week of Strings Camp go? Well, we made it without any kind of medical emergencies or 
calls home to parents. So I'm calling that a win. Yeah. Is that what you usually go for? Yeah. I mean, the kids learn music too. So that's just like an extra added bonus. I mean, it really is like a babysitting service, right? Oh my God. (laughs) You're in education. How dare you? I know what summer school is. (laughs) No, it was really good. Uh, I had a really great group of middle schoolers to teach this summer and they were amazingly focused considering that they were 12 and it was summer. That's awesome. So yeah, it went really well. And I did get a few games played while I was there. Although not my usual fare, for sure. No. Got in our... Well, the kids love King of Tokyo. And I have my whole batch of like school games that, that we brought. So got to play a lot of King of Tokyo. Introduced some kids to that for the first time, which... I always forget how exciting that is. Like, no matter how many times you've played a game, introducing it to a kid for the first time, it's like the best thing ever. I highly recommend it. I can imagine. Now, these aren't your kids from your game group necessarily, right? Your gaming club? Some of them are, but most of them aren't. So you get a chance to spread the word a little bit. Right. We have five different middle schools in my district, and I only work at two of them, and I only have a game club at one of them. So, yeah, I'm evangelizing a little bit. And so King of Tokyo goes over well. Are you playing the new version or the old version? The old version. That's what I got. Yeah. You don't have the fancy new Cyber Kitty. I'm just going to have to live without that, I guess. I guess so. Whatever, Yellow. I don't need your kitty. (laughs) I was in Target today and I looked. I saw King of Tokyo and was like, oh, whatever. I glanced over it and I was like, oh, wait, let's see if it's hit stores yet. And it has not. So Mm. I'm waiting on that baby Gigazor. Yeah, I want I want it, but I'm not going to buy it because it's ridiculous. It's stupid. I don't need it. And the card backs aren't going to match, Tiff. I know. Yeah. That's also upsetting. Uh, you've also gotten a chance. I'm going to bring this up because we got a chance to play this as well. You've been playing Vikings on board. Is that right? Yeah, I got a review copy of it at Origins, and I've gotten a chance to play it a few times now. Yeah, so this is actually, it's not going to be on my Gen Con list, but it's on the list for Gen Con. So this is appropriate for the time so vikings on board is the new blue orange game and this is the successor it's not a direct successor to 1901 new york 1901 um in any way it just happens to be the next in their family line it's it's not vikings that came from new york in 1901 yeah it's part of their uh back back to the past series I shouldn't pitch that, no. You they... shouldn't say that, because we're going to get like an email from Brandon. No, this is their the next in their family game line. So typically, uh, Blue Orange Games does a lot of, of younger family games. So, you know, the Spottits and... Pengaloo! Uh, a lot of games with familiar mechanisms, but they boil them down so that younger children and their parents can kind of dig in. But they've branched out very intelligently, I think at least, to kind of expand the brand, to hit that entry-level adult game, gamer, uh, and some of those older kids, like Tiff, you know, your 12 and 13-year-olds kind of thing that you have at the game club. Uh, So Vikings on Board is essentially a worker placement game. I guess it's more of like an action selection game uh, where you are attempting to move, you're constructing, but all the pieces are already on the board. So you're constructing long ships, Viking long ships, but you're not like placing the pieces out on the board. They're already out there. You're moving them around via the action selection, trying to gain control 
and trying to fill those ships with scoring tokens and then sail those ships away and gather those scoring tokens. Is that succinct enough to... It's hard to explain it succinctly, as I found out when I tried to explain the rules to my game group. It's not a complicated game, but yeah, that is the, you're you're trying to get like a area majority on the ship with with your shields. But yeah, that's pretty much it. So we played, we played our first game. Uh, me, Cal, Dan, and my mom. And this seems like a game that would fit right in there. And I do think that uh, she did well. My mom being. I'm using her as kind of the family element here because Kel and Dan and I can pretty much handle whatever's thrown at us, but my mom's always the test for like what's a good family game. And she struggled a little bit with this one, and I don't know if it's because of how it was taught or if it's because it was a little bit later or because it was a first play, but basically the game happens, there's, oh, 10, maybe 12 actions on the board that you can grab, and there's an order to how you select your actions. Basically, imagine kind of a, a vertical chart of actions and you select your action. Depending on where you fall on that line is going to determine when you get to pick the next round. So if you pick the first action, which is t typically a lesser action, you'll get to go first next round, but you didn't get to do as much this turn. Whereas if you take the last action, that's usually a really powerful one, but that means that you're going to be last in the action selection for the next turn. So you've got to balance where you're going to pick. And she just couldn't really wrap her mind around, one, what the actions were, how to finagle the, the ships one way or another, and then also kind of positioning well to kind of set up a couple rounds ahead. Because you really can plan for next turn due to that order. And, and my mom just loved her to death, but she was... Dragging the, the game down a little bit. Oh, She did okay. She made it through. But I was going to say, that, I mean, I, I explained it to my normal game group, and maybe it was the way I explained it, but it just took a little while for them to get used to the iconography. I think it could have used some player aids uh, just to help with that, because yeah. I found them getting a little bit confused. Like, does this one mean I can swap ships from one to another? Where am I putting it when I move it from the front? Like, they, it just took a little bit to get used to that. And once we got through that, uh, the turn order thing made sense to them. So that was good. Yeah, it is a little bit tricky because basically how you're moving things around the board, you have an action that lets you swap between ships, an action that lets you swap within ships, an action that pushes one straight to the back of your current ship, one that pushes straight to the back of a different ship, and then there's colors to represent your pieces versus an opponent's pieces. So the symbolism on the board, it it's not bad. Once once you explain it, it really does kind of make sense, but I it's not intuitive just looking at it. It needs the accompaniment of some explanation and some practice like you really do have to go through the motions a couple of times yeah I, th I found that once once we played through one round it went pretty smooth after that but i it did throughout the game require me to go oh nope that's the one where you swap them like just point out a couple of times it it was easy to get a couple of different things on the board confused yeah now i'm of the opinion that there are eight ships on the game board and the game ends after seven ships are sailed I think that this game should last no more than seven rounds. How do you feel about that, Tiff? I think that someone should be sailing every round. Yeah, I think so, too. To keep it moving. Now, I've seen games last longer, but the more I see it played, the more I play, I just really feel like the game 
one strategically keep it moving and don't let people settle in too much and move things around because it gets hard to plan secondly the the weight of the game feels like it should just keep moving at that pace like people should just be sailing all the time that was just a thought i had dan and i we're we're discussing whether or not we felt that way i see did he feel the other way they were contending that you know there was some reason to not always be sailing ships like maybe at the beginning when you're trying to build the ships up with the scoring tokens and things like that but i think you should just like keep cruising like anytime i saw that action open i was grabbing it i could definitely see that being a problem because i know that for my first game and for one of my buddies first games like we didn't really fully comprehend everything that was going on and a ship got sailed out that had our a lot of our shields on it yeah and you kind of want to sail out a ship to get majority, but you want to do it with as few as shields as possible. And before I t- fully grokked that, I got rid of a lot of my big shield ships. So, so like, I can see where at first maybe you wouldn't want to, but I haven't played a game where we haven't sailed one out every round. I mean, that's, like, the fun of the game, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to your credit, and I, we won't go on about Vikings on board too much longer, but there is the potential that you can actually kind of be taken out of the game. It's not elimination, but if you sail all of your shields too early, you have very limited options. There's some secondary scoring that has to do with betting on who's going to sail a ship. So you can still play that way and you can still mess with other people's stuff. But if you don't pay attention, you could end up with no ships, no ship pieces left to even contend for majority and you are a lot less involved at that point. So, Yeah, that makes it no fun. It's I think that's probably important for someone who's explaining it to people for the first time to point out. I didn't do that for my group, and I kind of... I did, like, as the ship was sailing. Like, oh, maybe you don't want that to happen. Oh, it's happening. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about it. <laughs> so, Too late. Oh, yeah. But, I, you know, I don't know how you feel about this. My initial impression of it and still my impression of it is that it's a, it's a little notch above where New York 1901 is. It's a little bit thinkier. I would agree with that. I think that there's just more to do with a given action. So you really do have to process those those turns a little bit. I think it's close to on par in terms of weight. Like, I think that if you can handle New York 1901, you can handle Vikings on board. It just... It's not as friendly. It doesn't, you know, at times. Yeah, I think the word intuitive is a good one to use with it. It doesn't initially feel quite as intuitive as New York 1901 does. But but once you get going, I think it's a good one. And I think it's definitely going to be one of those step-up games for my middle school. I, I really am anxious to see how they react to it. Because with my game group, it was fine. And it should be fine because they're grown adults and play a lot of games. I, I wonder, you know, if they'll have trouble with it, you know, kind of like your mom did. We'll see. Yeah. So Vikings on board from Blue Orange Games will be available from Gen Con coming out a little bit later after that in the main retail. Uh, Definitely want to check out, especially if you liked New York 1901, if you like that family weight entry level style of game, something to check out. Tiff, what else went down during the week at Strings Camp? The other thing that we do gaming wise is after the kids are, after lights out and they're in their room, the directors, because we have to stay overnight, obviously, to keep an eye on them, we stay awake and play games after they go to bed. And um, so like a lot of social games, and I always bring 
those like social deduction games. So I introduced all of them to Resistance, which we love, and One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Spyfall was what I brought last year. And actually, a lot of them were like, hey, did you bring that one game? And I was like, no. New games. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to my world. Yep. But uh, so this year, oh, we played Code Names which went over smashingly as it tends to do. And I was actually surprised. One of the um, teachers in the group had already played it with her family and she had no idea that it was like within the designer board game realm. Wow, that's cool. They had just discovered it out in the wild somehow. I don't know. So that was cool. And then I brought Dead Last, which we got, it wasn't nearly as popular as Codenames, but it had some really fun moments. Yeah. Did it live up to uh, the Origins excitement? I think it was better than. Yeah. <laughs> well, just because Origins, there are a lot of, like, easy targets. You know, like, I was playing with Chris Kirkman, who is, like, a really big social gamer, and he's, like, kind of an easy target when you're playing a game where you're, you're all secretively trying to decide who to take out. Obviously, you kind of want to go for those big-time social gamers that you know can manipulate the group. And so... It, it was a little bit easier to target people that way. Whereas if you're playing with a casual group of friends that don't play games like this and you don't know how manipulative they can be, because these are essentially like coworkers, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know how bad, how good at lying they are. So it, it made it a little bit more like intense, like, oh man, I, I think we're all picking this person to die, but what if everybody's screwing me over? <laughs> and we definitely had one moment in particular where we had all done this thing. I mean, we were mostly communicating non-verbally, although we started to use our phones after a while, which didn't happen when I played it at Origins, so that it was neat to see how that worked. Everybody quickly realized, like, you want to turn off the sound on your phone when you do this. <laughs> Because it was just like, bing, 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 everybody's phone going off. We definitely had one person who had no idea that the whole world was plotting against her. And it came as like a total, she's like, how? And what it was is <laughs> we kept making her laugh. Yeah. And every time she was like in the throes of laughter, we'd be like showing our cards to everybody. And she just missed it every time because she was laughing at some joke someone made. Wow. And it, and it was, I mean, it was the horror on her face when she realized that the whole group unanimously plotted against her. It was awesome. That's fantastic. So, so I think it's a really fun social game and, and it definitely works for, you know, like we're resistance. You kind of, I mean, you can be a little nonverbal in that game, but you have to participate. People are going to ask you questions and try to read you. But like this, you can kind of, if you're not as out there kind of a person, you can sit back and still do things your way. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I'm so, glad that that went over well. It's always nice when you have, you in particular, like, from that, I'm not putting this on, I'm trying not to put this on you, but from that, like, social anxiety level, from no, that side of things. No, you can put it on me. It's yeah. definitely there. It's cool that um, that you can find things that go over well, and I like how Dead Last, with Resistance, my biggest thing is, like, the game is false accusations for the sake of it. Like, there's nothing to go on. And I like the dead last, the point is just to kill each other. Right. And it, I mean, resistance really puts you in a position where there are times where you have to lie. And if you're not a good liar, it's just like a disaster. And I don't know, you're not in dead last, you're not directly lying to someone's face necessarily. You're just kind of like colluding. Yeah. It feels less stressful that way. But oh man, it was fun. 
I'm glad we got to play it. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. All right, Tiff, I got something to chat with you about. Oh, boy. It's something, not that I've been playing, but something that I've been using. Uh, and this is the Bitbox game storage system. All right. So okay. we got reached out to. Is that that the sounded weird. Proper tense. Yeah. I was touched <laughs> by. <laughs> Show us on the box where. Yeah, Wait. No. Uh, I we the podcast, the oh. the people at Gameovations reached out, and it just so happens that Dan and I live in the same area, and you don't, Tiff. So, wow. this is how things work. If you want to send Tiff stuff explicitly, contact her or tell me when you contact me that you want it to go to Tiff, because there's a different address to go to Tiff. So the Bitbox uh, is a game storage solution, which is something that I'm always interested in because. One, if you can see the camera behind me, there's a bunch of games there. No one can see the camera behind you except me. I just want you to know that. Yeah, there's games there. The problem is that there's also games all over this floor down here and all over the place. So I'm always interested in new ways to condense my game collection, to store better, to be more efficient with the space because we live in an apartment. Hopefully we'll get a house someday. But for right now, I've got to do... I, I can't leave this room because it would upset my lovely wife if there were piles of games like on the kitchen table like there are sometimes or you know like you sit on the couch and you're like hey what why is there a meeple in my back kind of thing so anyway the bitbox is an affordable solution to something like the game bags that we've covered before which are some of them have doubled as storage solutions but they're also for transport well bitbox does the same kind of stuff so have you seen any of this, Tiff, or should I paint you a word picture? Paint me a word picture. I mean, I think the listeners are going to need a, a word picture anyway, right? Well, first, if you <laughs> if you don't want a word picture, you want a real picture, you can go to bitboxgamestorage.com, and then you can follow along with me. Basically, what it is, is there's two systems. The bitbox is a square box. Think like a cardboard Ikea cube. Now, inside this cube... There are four stations for drawers, and there are two slots for these folders, sleeve kind of things. In the sleeves go your boards. In the drawers go individually stored different sized boxes where you put your game components. So if red flags are going off in your head, you are removing things out of your boxes and putting them into other boxes. So the idea is let's get rid of the bloated packaging that our games come in and let's store them in a more efficient, more condensed, and more organized way that can fit upwards of 16 games into one single cube bit box, along with the boards and the rules and things like that. Now, in addition to this product is the Bitbox Mobile, which is a briefcase-style mobile carrier where you can take the boxes and the drawers out of your BitBox and load them into the BitBox Mobile and travel with them. So it's two compatible systems that you can take things right out, put them right in, and be on your way. I do like that idea. It's a great idea. So in general, the reason why you know I, we accepted this project, this product, is because it seems like an affordable way to condense down your game collection. Like, I, I reviewed the product, I looked at what they did, and 
I was interested. So it came, now here are the specs. So this stuff, first off, is made of a high quality cardboard. The boxes come in four sizes, depending on the game. You can, you've got options on how to store, but I've done really well storing games, like the medium sized games, like your Ticket to Rides, I got like Imhotep and different games into the smallest size without issue. I've only had to use the third biggest size for Abyss with a Kraken because the player boards, uh, the location tiles are a bit longer. So I put that in a bigger box and I labeled them. So I've had a lot of ease kind of storing the games, putting them into the bit box, and a relatively easy time getting them into the mobile. It's an interesting solution for storing and transporting games. I think there's a lot of good things about the bit box. I think that the first thing you need to get over is can you get rid of your game boxes? Do you think you could do that, Tiff? Uh-uh. No? No, I think that, I, unfortunately, that that's part of the appeal for me is the visual representation of all the games on the shelf, especially since I'm not playing all my games all the time. Yeah. Like, if I don't have the box on the shelf, well, what's the point? Okay. Now, I've gone back and forth with some people because I do my best to defend the bit box when people are like, but what would you do with your game boxes? You're just going to throw them away? You know, they're part of the cost. They've got great art. There's reasons to keep your inserts and your boxes. To the defense of the bit box, you could store your boxes somewhere else. This still allows you to throw them in crawl spaces, into attics, into basements that are less convenient for accessing games, but are still convenient for storing the boxes. So you wouldn't have to throw things away in case you want to sell or you want to store or you miss them dearly. You can put boxes inside of boxes. There's an option for keeping them. Secondary, you can get rid of your boxes if you are that kind of person. My biggest thing is I don't know a lot of people who would be willing to do that even outside of collectors. I don't know either. I think another issue that I have with it is like, how do you get people that don't know the games to pick the games visually with the bit box? Because it's just like a title. That's kind of hilarious. Now, and I'll tell you why that's hilarious in a second. Now, first off, they do have some creative labeling solutions where they say like you can print out the box cover and kind of label the boxes in that way. So you do have the art a little bit. You've got kind of that flair. You could customize different ways to label. So they do have some suggestions for that. But okay. surprisingly enough, my mom brought that to my attention. She said, well, then I don't know what the games look like if they're in this black box. And I was like, but that's a silly reason to say anything. So it's hilarious that you bring that up because I dismissed her immediately. And was like, but I, I know what the games are. Like, I don't keep the boxes so that I can identify the games. I keep the boxes because I like the artwork and things like that. But you would say that you would actually pick games by the look of them like that? Oh, I don't, but I'm a psycho. I mean, and so are you. I hate but to tell I'm you this. I'm a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, when it comes to, to players that aren't, like, researching these games and don't know the games and, you know, like, I'll bring up a game to my husband by title He'll have no idea what I'm talking about, even though we played it last night. Yeah, but then yeah. I go, oh, the games with the Viking longships. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. That visual representation. So if he's looking at a shelf and he wants to play that game, he's looking for Vikings. I mean, it's a bad example because Vikings is in the title of Vikings on board. But yeah. you get my point. Yeah, like, no, I do. It, yeah. I mean, especially with people who aren't like immersed in the hobby trying to pick a game. Visually is how they do it. My kids pick games based on the visual of the box art. So, and this is where it comes into play because when I'm thinking about reviewing the bit box and I'm thinking about who is this for, 
would I buy it? Would I use it? I've enjoyed the system itself. I think that in theory, it makes perfect sense. Condense your games down. Get rid of the bloated air and the space. You have to deal with the boxes, but that that's not a deal breaker for me necessarily. I know that that definitely is for some people, and I don't discount that. Uh, but what I found is that in practice, for a gamer like me, I'm a big collector, I've got a lot of games, and I'm very mobile. I'm going all over the place with my games. I found this is where the Bitbox gets a little fiddly, is where I'm trying to swap in and out the games that I want, in and out of the mobile, in and out of different carrying cases. If I need to get just one game out, i got to fish through the sleeve for just that board, just those rules, and then... When I go to put it back, I've got to take the, you know, I've got to sort them back out into their individual bit boxes because I've labeled them accordingly, things like that. So it's gotten a little fiddly for a person with a collection like me because I honestly think that you've got to go all or nothing with this thing. I think that you've got to put all your games in bit boxes or you don't because I, I got one bit box to work with for the review, which was plenty for you know kind of assessing the product but i went to game day yesterday or two days ago with a bag of games and boxes and a bitbox mobile and it was a little clunky having both of these systems and trying to sort out like what's what and find games here and find games there and it wasn't like a uniform approach to traveling with my games so i think you got to go all or nothing which i don't know how practical that is for a gamer like me or like you well i was gonna say how many games fit into one so in the the core bit box, the one that goes on your shelf, which so nicely fits into the standard board game IKEA shelves, you can fit upwards of 16 games if they're all in that smallest box. In the mobile, you can fit up to 8 if they're all in the smallest box. But what I found is you typically get like 12 to 13 in the regular box. I mean, I could definitely see the mobile working for, you know, when I go up to Panericon... I am bringing a stupid amount of boxes for yeah, sure. Yeah. And I feel like an idiot bringing it all into a Panera in the middle of the day and get some looks. So, you know, if you're wanting to avoid that, I could definitely see getting the mobile. The The thing with the regular bit boxes is I have about 600 games in my collection right now. Yeah. Uh, I could condense that down to 38 boxes, which would definitely save on a lot of space. I mean, I'm struggling every time I buy a game to get rid of one. And it is like, yeah, I'm calling out my collection and some really good games, but I'm getting to the point where I don't have any fluff in my collection. Like the, the decisions are harder. So maybe I'll get to a point where I'm like, I can't get rid of it anymore. And I could convert to a system like that. But then I'd have to buy like 40 of these boxes. Well, so let's talk price. So I've got the, uh, the, Preview Kickstarter's page is what I'm working for right now because at the time of this recording, the Kickstarter has not gone live, but by the time you're listening to this, the Kickstarter should be up, so look for the Bitbox on Kickstarter. It's looking like 29 bucks will get you one Bitbox, 25 bucks will get you a mobile, and then they have a couple different kind of combinations. Uh, but for someone like you, Tiff, who would be buying multiples, you'd be getting, you know, two... Bitboxes for 54 bucks. You'd be getting 25 bitboxes for 500 bucks. You can get infinite bitboxes for 5,000 bucks, but I don't know that that's what you need. If you're looking around the 30 to 40 box range, I mean, you're looking at 
upwards of like 600 bucks woof more but are you saving a lot of space yeah, I'm saving a lot of space, but I'm also making my collection look terrible. Like part of the like part of what I like about my collection is you walk into my board game library and it's like an interesting visual thing. Like maybe some people look at it and think you're a crazy person, but for the most part when people come into my living room and everything's organized on shelves, they're like, "Oh, neat." Whereas if they were just these stark boxes with titles, even with the artwork on the labels, I'm not so sure it would it it would probably look crazier. <laughs> it might look a little crazier. Yep. So I, I don't know. I'm not sure. It would definitely condense things down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you're someone who lives in an apartment and you know you're going to live in an apartment for a long time, I could definitely see doing this. Because, I mean, when we lived even in a smaller house, like now I live, I have a four-bedroom house. Me and my husband each have our own office space. We have yeah. a whole room for the board game library. That was not always the case. When we lived in the smaller house... I'm not ashamed to say that we had board game shelves in our bedroom. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> avoiding that right now. That's not something you want, really. <laughs> no. So if you're trying to avoid that situation, go for it, I say. I think that, you know, to kind of sum up our discussion here, I've, I've enjoyed the opportunity to mess around with the BitBox. I think that it's a much-needed product. I think that storage solutions, creative ways to handle your game collection is by far the one thing that this hobby needs is transport and storage of games absolutely keep them safe condense them down all these different things is like we've got nice box inserts we've got mats we've got tables we need good storage solutions so i'm excited for anybody who looks at this and says like i think this would really work i think you're going to get a good product the people behind this product at game innovations have been wonderful you know i can say that they've been really good people to work with, so I have faith in the Kickstarter. I think that this thing's going to do well. But I think it's going to do well for people who have small collections, who are willing to give up their boxes, or who are very mobile gamers bouncing back and forth. The, the place where I would see this for people like you and I is if for our small box card games, things like that, like if you want to organize a bunch of smaller games, or if you have, you've got 600 games, Tiff, they're not all <laughs> priceless gems. So if you're like, this is my crap shelf of 50 games i don't have a crap shelf that's the thing like i know it's hard to believe but i really when i i i know this because i organized my games yesterday and i and i i called some out and i was like wow there is really no crap on this shelf like there's nothing but i do have one shelf and i think every gamer does especially if you have a large collection that one shelf of small box games that's so annoying you have and it looks like crap like i have the one shelf that has all these weird puzzle pieced in tiny box games that aren't all the same size and it looks bad so that that could definitely be a help there so bitbox on kickstarter check it out lots of different pricing and combination offers check the product out for yourself if you have any more questions find me but i was excited to talk about this a much needed thing in the hobby so kudos to game ovations for being innovative look at that it's in their name and uh you know trying to fill a gap in the hobby that's much needed so uh all right anything else that you've been playing or, or trialing or any fun ways you've been storing your games tip <laughs> no, just shelves, and I don't have those standard, uh, I don't remember what they're called, those square shelves that everybody has. Yeah. Like, they were in between shelf 
makes and I couldn't get my hands on enough for my whole collection. So I got different ones, which I think they look a little bit classier, but (laughs) that's probably just because I bought them. Nope, I'm still organizing by box size. I got to figure something out. The ones that I can see on your shelf look okay. But look, here's my here's my bit box right there. See? Nope. Oh, yeah, I do see it. it. See, it looks good in that like square cube yeah. thing. But I don't have those, so it probably look like poo in mine. There'd be a bunch of extra space. Well, all right. Not for Tiff. <laughs> Sorry, Bitbox. I, right. I I actually like. I know it sounds like I'm kind of crapping out, but I uh, I'm probably gonna pick up one of the mobile ones for my Panericon woes, so I don't look like a crazy person. I'm excited to keep my mobile one because it's definitely something that's gonna make con travel or distance gaming a lot easier. A lot easier. Everyone should probably have a mobile. That's always the struggle, right? Dan. Oh man, did Dan need one of those at? origins i felt so bad he was carrying around like 80 pounds of games on the first day so dan was using one of the bags that we featured before and we did a review of not to name any names but and he (laughs) was excited to have six games in his thing and he was bogged down by 35 pounds worth of games i carry eight in the bit box and i'm happy as a clam yeah, well, and I, I those travel ones, when you're storing the box in a padded thing, the padding adds weight and yeah. the box adds weight. So if you're taking out all that, it's going to make it a lot lighter. I like the idea of the mobile one. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to talk all about Gen Con and how I'm not going. Stay tuned for that. You'll be in Europe. <laughs> complaining about your honeymoon. I'm not going to be a little in Europe. At Gen Con in Indianapolis with a bunch of sweaty people because I'm going to be stuck with my wonderful wife in Europe. Welcome back, everyone. It is time to chat about my Gen Con picks. That's about it. So <laughs> I'm really excited to see what you picked because you said you have a lot, and I don't. I have a fair number of things that I'm interested in, and I focused primarily on games that could be purchased, not necessarily just demoed or Kickstarter previewed or anything like that. Now, that being said, the list is bloated. That's how I would describe it. Like, there is just stuff on stuff on stuff. So many people are making games, which is cool, but also I feel like it really hurts the stock of, you know, like there's too much out there. I think it would be great. I mean, I don't know how hard it would be. And I know that Eric put so much time in, W. Eric Martin put so much time into putting those previews together. And he's being inundated constantly by publishers to get things on that preview. And people just seem to be throwing everything but the kitchen sink at him. So it's hard. But if that list were sortable, it'd be so much easier. Because you could sort out all those party games that you're not interested in. Like, I'm not going to Gen Con to pick up another party game. If I see one that looks good, I might. But, you know, like, I could really, I could get through that list a lot faster if I could weed out some of those genres that I'm not really interested in. Yeah, yeah. And I, I gave it a, I gave the list a fair shot because I really do believe in trying to find smaller titles, you know, first time 
shots from publishers some of the hidden gems like that's fun for me is to look through these games but i find myself you know 10 pages in i i'm not giving games a fair shot anymore because i'm so burnt out from like every game i click on turns out to not be what i think it is or not be right for me and i just start skipping through which means that you've got to have a good title and good box art if you want to grab my attention by page 10. well let me tell you publishers to get my attention you gotta have a good title because i don't even look at the pictures yeah yeah i just i go like the list for gen con i mean maybe for origins i could have some pictures but i go titles only for gen con because you're talking about a lot of pages of games and yeah 15 pages currently it helps me weed things out by just searching by title that's for sure i'm probably missing out on some good stuff but hey i got 600 games in my collection i'll be fine they will rise to the surface if you need to know about them So talk about your list. Let's hear it. So first game, I break my rule already, a game that you can't buy, but a game that I backed that's exciting. It's Fugitive. We talked about it before in a Kickstarter preview. It is going to be there for demo. I just want to put this on people's radar to go check out. Cool two-player card game from Tim Fowers. All right, we move on. (laughs) Starts with breaking the rules. That's always a good sign. We go with the, the title. Tiff, how do you feel about The Last Friday? Sounds intriguing. Go on. Sounds intriguing. Intriguing. How do you feel about 30 to 120 minute playtime? Say what? That's a pretty big range. But to be fair, The Last Friday is a hidden movement game where one player is a slasher horror movie villain and the rest of the people are trying to run around what I guess is essentially Camp Crystal Lake trying to hide and not get killed. Kind of cool, right? Yeah. So that is on my list to check out because unique theme. Not enough people are doing. I like it. It's kind. Of, it's a parody, but it's true to the form. You know, it's. it's well, that... mixtape massacre just came out. That's true. That's true. So one other option. It's booming. It's the new pirates. We you know? say something is the new pirates every week. You realize that? That's how fast this board game industry is moving. Things go quick. All right. Well, you know what's really the new Pirates Tiff? Mm. It's Sherlock. Flicking penguin games. Oh. Okay. Ice cool. How do you feel about that? I could get down with flicking penguins. I yep. like that concept. Brian Gomez and Amigo Spiel. This is going to come through the U.S. through Brain Games. And have you seen this at all? Mm-mm. I'm trying this to find is, it on the list. It's a kids game. It's a flicking dexterity game, and essentially you have these penguins that are like uh, what were those things called? Weeble wobbles. They're oh, like I see it. Yeah, bottom you, heavy. You can flick them, but they don't fall down. Yeah, you can flick them, and the cool thing is if you watch the videos for Ice Cool, so this is a flicking game where you have a um, almost like a imagine like a building layout where you're trying to flick through doorways and down hallways and things like that. But the things that the people who play this game in that video can do with these things, they are curving them around multiple rooms, they're bouncing them off walls. It seems like a crazy skill-based dexterity game, which is really cool. And it's cute to boot. Damn it, Matt. Listen, my titles only search only yielded me like six games for this Gen Con. And I'm adding another now. Maybe possibly two with that last Friday. Yeah. So Ice Cool doesn't look like it's got a whole lot of meat to it, but in terms of, you know, when you got uh, like Monster Tort 
or all these like cute little haba 3d blue board yeah dexterity. i mean it's got the tactile factor and it looks like it's a lot of fun to mess around with you know could be one of those kids games that adults love kind of thing i think so, so. i think you're right about that all right my next one is five tribes the thieves of nakala this is a little baby pick little baby pick because this is just a mini expansion for five tribes ben recently picked up five tribes uh using like this crazy amazon gift card thing that he got and he gets for using the internet i don't know and he was like what should i buy i said well i <laughs> he would got love a gift to... card for using the internet i don't know things are weird but i i kind of convinced him to buy five tribes because i really wanted it but I knew I only wanted to play it two-player and that I was only going to play it with Ben. So he got it, and we played it a couple times. I really like that game two-player. And uh, I'd love to expand it with a new gin and some new the Thief cards. Thief cards, I should say. Okay. Seems pretty cool. Not a whole lot to it. All right. Just... <laughs> I like that they're still supporting it. The game hasn't died off yet. So. Well, I like the idea of mini expansions just in general. Any expansion that's like easy to just throw into something are usually a no-brainer. Yep. I'll tack right onto that, the mini expansion, the Diamonds Thief expansion. Feel free to pick one of those up for me, Tiff. We when already talked my... about that, I think, on yeah. a news. And I think we it did. sounds like the best possible thing that they could do for that game. It's perfect. It is a perfect design move. I love it to death. But... That is not what we're talking about right now, because our next title that grabs you, Tiff, is Ticket to Ride, Rails, and Sails. <laughs> no? You laugh? Mm -hmm. You giggle? Well, it's standalone, isn't it? It's like you don't need a base game to, to enjoy it, so that's more my style of Ticket to Ride game, because I don't own an actual copy of the base game. If I'm correct, and I'd have to double check, I think this retails for $80, though. It's pricey. You're into pricey games. <laughs> I, I, yeah, well, fortunately I'm not going to Gen Con, so I won't be buying it. But it's expensive. That's a lot for Ticket to Ride. Now, is this on your list like you're actually going to buy this at some point? Or is just this just something that you wish you could check out at Gen Con? I think that that would be on the list of things that I would buy, but I don't know that I would buy it for $80. I think I would try to find it discounted. Mm. But, you know, I don't know. It's... I don't own Ticket to Ride, so this seems like it's got that extra little flair to it where I've got friends who own Ticket to Ride, I can get the one that's different, and then we can, you know, share that way. And it's not an expansion, it's standalone, so there's a lot going for it that I think is pretty cool. We did talk about that previously on a news episode, that's the Rails and Sails is the one that introduces boats into Ticket to Ride, so you have to manage your supply of boats and trains, and, you know, it has some interesting uh, port mechanics Next game, Tiff, grabbed by not the title, but the box art for me. So how do you feel about Oceanos? Oh, that one I is on my list, actually. Yeah, because it's none other than show favorite Antoine Bauza. The Bauza and, and Yellow, which you know it's going to be top-notch components. The artwork looks beautiful. Uh, I didn't realize any of that when I clicked on it. <laughs> the t it was full on. I mean I kind of in the back of my brain as soon as I clicked on it I was like oh I know what this is but the title is what made me click on it good job yellow so another of their I mean they're not big box games these are like their medium box games like 30 to 45 minutes yeah yeah it's a tiff game it's a tiff game and it's but it's card drafting you cool with that I 
drafting. Yeah. Okay. It says that it has an original take on card drafting, and I wouldn't believe it if it wasn't Antoine Bauza. But that guy <laughs> is originality in human form. Yeah. So, yeah. He's genius. So, Oceanus, definitely want to check out. Beautiful looking game. Next one, another little title from Yellow is Welcome to the Dungeon. Welcome back to the dungeon. I almost called it Welcome to the Dungeon again. Well, that either way it works. This is a it's a standalone, but it's technically also an expansion to Welcome to the Dungeon, which was, you know, one of my favorite games from Origins last year, 2015. An awesome little push your luck game, and this introduces four new people: the Bard, the Princess, the Necromancer, and the Ninja. As long as they have that tasty spot gloss. Oh yeah. On the box and on the tiles. That's all we want. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that game. I'm glad they're expanding it. These little games are what is going to get me here at Gen Con. All these yeah, I mean, things. this is 15 bucks. No reason not to grab it, Tiff. What are you doing? I'm sorry. I said I'm trying to cut back. Maybe you should have looked closer at the list. <laughs> so. <laughs> this is um, the problem with being on a podcast. Like, I can't just stick my head in the sand. Oh, no. You have to be up to date or I will make you up to date. <laughs> you have no choice. All right. What else you got? All right. Next one up buy. is Grifters. This is from Dave Fulton and Jacob Talpik. Talpik? I don't know how to say your name. Sorry, Jacob. But uh, Indie Boards and Cards. This is... We featured this on a Kickstarter preview before a Kickstarter Spotlight. It's a unique, like, hand management game but it has this cooldown system that i'm really grabbed by i didn't end up backing it but it's finally coming out and i'm interested in one the artwork it's really beautiful i like the hand management and set collection kind of thing and this idea that you're playing your criminals and they've got this cooldown before they become available again so i like a lot of what's working with it so this is one that i would like to check out at gen con you know, if I was going, I would check it out, and I would probably end up buying it if it worked as well as it looks. But, you know, I'll get to at least hear the news back from it. I just had so. an interesting thought about my taste in themes. Go for it. <laughs> so anytime, like, a, the theme of a game is centered around crime, I automatically kind of like it less. And less said crime is, like, serial killing. What does that mean? I think we're going to have to end the show, Tiff. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm terrified. Like, I love letters from Whitechapel and, like, I don't know. That's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not really into crime unless it involves the ultimate crime. Yeah. Murdering people. Go big or go home, crime gains. Preferably if you're wearing a mask while doing it. <laughs> okay, moving on. Yeah. Sorry about How do you that. feel about Captain Sonar, Tiff? Mm, is it set in the 50s? I don't think it's set in the it's, 50s. In my mind, it's like a 50s sci-fi thing. Like, that's what that title makes me think of. Captain no. Sonar. This no? is... <laughs> no? It's not that? Excelsior. No, this Maybe is... Maybe that's what we should do. You tell me the title, and then I try to guess what kind of game it is. <laughs> All right, we'll do that for the last couple ones I have here. This is from Madigo, and this is the team-based simultaneous sub submarine game. Yeah, you're trying to fight, find and fight the other sub in real time, uh, almost kind of like... It's Battleship. It's like Battleship meets uh, Space Cadets Dice Duel, which Space Cadets Dice Duel is officially 
the game that went over the least well with our group ever. Played it once. Everyone complained about it. Oh, that's me. sad. And I, I still have my copy and shrink immediately. I think it's fun, but I I don't know. I'm tenuous about this game because I don't want to do that experience again because it was really bad. But this sounds like so much fun. Ugh, real time. People are trying to find the mines, try to load the missiles, trying to use the sonar. Oh man, all all at the same time. You shout at each other across the table. It's great. Matigo got me interested, but as soon as I saw real time, single tier. Sorry. Sorry, Tiff. All right. Fight for Olympus. I think you already know what this one is about, but what is this one about? I don't know. You don't know what Fight for Olympus would Should be I, about? Is this a, well, like, it's about, like, I don't know, Greek gods or something? What's happening? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. This is from Lookout Spiel, Mayfair Games. This is the Matthias Gramer two-player card game coming out. Yeah. Using your soldiers, titans, and demigods, you're going to fight for control of Olympus. You got it. I think this is this is an instant buy. Like this is the game that I would go and buy a Gen Con and just be content and I just hang out and not buy. That's what else. you would run for if you were going to be there on day one. A two one. player card game. I don't know if I'd run for it, but I would buy it and then just be like, all right, everything else is fluff. Wow. So, that speaks highly of it. I don't even know if it's any good. I've never played it. That title doesn't speak to me. Well, I think you're missing out. How does, I guess this falls in the same Dan realm. will buy it. I don't need to like it. Dan will probably buy it. How? Because you know he loves two-player card games so much. Somehow. Okay. <laughs> How does the, the title Agamemnon strike you? What does that make you think about? Oh, no. I don't like this game. Why did I come up with it? You picked it. <laughs> Agamemnon is another game about the Greek pantheon, Tiff. But this is a two-player war game. So nothing you want to do with. But I like the idea that you are taking on the role of the Greek gods to try to influence the Trojan War. I really like this part of history. I think that it's interesting that you're trying to influence the outcome of the Iliad. And uh, although it is a war game, it says that it's very fast-paced. It's kind of a lighter style. Uh, but it is from Osprey Games, and they know what they're doing when it comes to war games typically. But only a 30-minute playing time. So, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of factors here that play into something that I would like. Okay, good. You're not selling me on any more games. Apparently, the end of your list is all the games that Tiff wouldn't buy. Good. All right, Tiff. Would you buy Seafall? No, probably no. not. Isn't it a legacy game? It is a legacy game. It's it's the epitome of legacy games because it is bound to nothing else. No pandemic and no risk. It just is what it is. And I'm not buying it either because I think Dan's buying it. And I think... I don't know if Ben's pre-ordering it, but someone's going to buy it. I bought Pandemic Legacy, so I'm going to leave this one to someone else. How kind of you. Yeah. But this is one that people will be... This is going to be Walmart Black Friday for that game. Yes. People will definitely be stomping over people to get that one. One that I am interested in hearing more about, but I don't know that I'm willing to pay $75 for it, is Cry Havoc from Portal Games. This is from Grant Rodiak, and this is a game that apparently Tom Vassell has freaked out over and said it's one of the best games of the year. Eh. I really like the art. I like the sci-fi, but uh, the gameplay, I need to watch the watch it played gameplay all the way through because I'm not wholly convinced. Um, it's got some interesting... It's like a war game, area control. It's got some hand management, like card play. I think... 
It says deck building here on the BGG. I'm not sure about that. It doesn't sound particularly exciting, so... It looks really good. If you look at the artwork and you like, um, like, realistic future, like, sci-fi artwork, it's got really nice, clean design, but I'm just not wholly sold on everything, and I'm super wary of Portal games in general because I just, I've been unimpressed with a lot of their catalog. I'm trying to think if I've even played, other than Tides of Time, I haven't played any of their more recent games. They seem to be, like, wait to purchase for me. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's a game that I would typically like, but I'm... It looks like your type of game for it sure. It does. It does. But I'm trying to reserve judgment because of the financial, you know, kind of... Oh, so trashy here. Yeah. So <laughs> trashy. How about Lotus? Is Lotus on your list? No. Tell me about it. Lotus is beautiful. It's a small box card game where you're trying to build the garden. We talked about this on a previous episode as well. You oh, will look we at the box and this. you will buy it. Okay, I'm looking at the box right now. Let's see if you're right. <gasps> it's beautiful. It's too purple for me. It's a pretty game, though. And it sounds like the gameplay is interesting, too. There's not a whole lot out on it yet, but it looks cool. Another game that you are not interested in that I am is Eco. Eco is a two to four player abstract strategy game i knew that i actually knew about this one did you i think it looks really cool all of these games we're talking about we have talked about before at various times in the news but of course you're buying it at least i'm consistent you're very consistent unlike me all right i got i got a couple more that will be really quick you would not buy this except to stare at the artwork maybe the alien battles expansion to the versus card game yeah no yeah but I the artwork for it. versus is like in generally it's kind of like that uh the legendary artwork you know it's cool it's nice it's inconsistent at best <laughs> but always interesting i think yeah yeah uh onami is another game Ooh, another game that looks really nice another is this a card game abstract no it's not, I mean, it's got theme, but it's not like a thematic game. It's a card game. Card games are tough to really be strongly thematic. Uh, it sounds like it's a little bit abstract, but it's not like blank pieces on a board kind of abstract. So. Well, you got that going for you then. Well, and the Slightly last one that less I'm... less than abstract. <laughs> the last one that I'm super duper interested in is Broadsides, the Merchant and Marauders two-player dueling ship card game there's a there's consistency in my list at least good lord yes <laughs> we're, we're we're really feeling the nautical this year i you know i don't know i just go with what's handed to me <laughs> you know. that is a pretty long list it was way more than i was expecting now would i insta buy all of those not necessarily would i buy i'm very interested in purchasing a lot of them though like i think that I would in, I would find a lot of enjoyment from most of those. Yeah. So. I think when I went through titles only, of course, because I'm trying to really pare it all down right now, uh, I had like five or six that I was interested in. Now I've added a couple thanks to you. But here's the tricky thing. This Gen Con, I am committing myself to buy one game. What? One game at Gen Con. Is that legit? That's legit. That's what I'm doing. 
Really? I, I don't know if I can do it, but I'm going to try. Now, I fully support this because <laughs> I think the biggest thing for anybody going to Gen Con is, and whether you've been there or not, you know, these games all come out. Yes. Most of them come out very quickly afterward, and you end up getting them for the same price or more because they come out on cool stuff and things like that. So kudos to you, Tiff. This is going to be a big old challenge, though. It is going to be a challenge because in, in years past, I come home with like 13, 14 games from Gen yeah, Con. Yeah, especially and you're traveling with Dan. Yeah. The king of Instabuy. He's an impulse buyer. And so am I. Yeah. So <laughs> just... the two of you together are going to enable each other. Yeah, that's why we get along so well. I, I don't know. I just, maybe I'll up it to two because I think no, from... No, 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 no. From... Don't do it, Tiff. Don't give up yet. You're convincing me that I'm not going to make it. I think I think the problem is now is that my tastes are going so light that it's hard to narrow it down to just one. But like you said, all these games come out, and what I find a lot of the time is that it might even take me a year to get back to all the games that I bought at Gen Con. And it's crazy to pay full price and lug them around the convention and, unless I'm going to play them right then and there. Uh, so I just want to, I at least want to have some limitations. Maybe by the time I record with Dan this weekend, I'll change my mind on like what my limitation is. Like maybe one big box game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then the rest can be, I can buy like a card game, filler game. And now, allow would you those. put, a, you could put a monetary limit on yourself. Yeah, I could do that. So let's, let's play a little game. Oh, you no. looked at a couple titles. Now, just tell me if you, you've found on your own before i influenced you like five or six titles so with this idea that you're only going to buy one game what was the top of the list well i can't tell you the top of my list that that means there's nothing for anyone to look forward to Uh, okay tell me what's on the bottom of your five game list this is a game that tiff wants but she's not going to spend her one game allowance on so that you the listener can buy it for her I'm looking through it, and now I'm like, I don't need any of these is the thing. Like, I want to buy the Firefly deck building game. Yeah. Like, that's calling me. I loved the Alien deck building game, but I have the Alien deck building game. How many deck building games do, do I need personally? Probably not more than one. But you can combine them. That's crazy. <laughs> so that is probably like on my five game list, the one I'm least likely to actually buy at Gen Con because yeah. that will be out and there will be plenty of copies of it. I think some, some of the time where I get motivated to buy at conventions or if it's a small booth or a limited print run and it might not come out for another, like fully come out for another couple of months. All right. So there's a teaser to your very exclusive. Yeah, if you see me walking around with Legendary Encounters, a Firefly deck building game, just smack me in the face because I broke my rules. <laughs> is what if you means. see her walking around with Firefly, you know that she bought the other four games on the list too. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely what that means because it's, it's for sure on the bottom. I got you. All <laughs> right, so for all of you lovely listeners, if you want to know more about what Tiff's looking forward to and what Dan is looking forward to, and I can... Correct me if I'm wrong, Tiff. I can pretty safely assume that your list is going to be vastly different than mine. Yes. And that we know that Dan's is going to be, like, if he was here every time I named a game, he would have been like, (laughs) fart noises, like, gross, not playing any of those games. 
So right. and I can for, almost guarantee that Dan's list is going to be very different from mine. Yeah, yeah. So stay tuned for that episode. That'll be next week. Check out what Dan and Tiff are looking for at Gen Con. If you go to Gen Con, be sure to look for Dan and Tiff because they will be there. If you are for some reason in Sweden or Russia or Germany, just <laughs> find me. You can be, be wearing your league shirt for your whole honeymoon uh, how are people gonna know it's you yeah i'll have business cards and i'll have my shirt <laughs> it's league <laughs> business wherever i go i never turn it off oh kel's gonna love that so yeah if you know any good game stores that i should stop in while i'm in st petersburg or in copenhagen just give me a shout so that i can go buy some games because the last thing i need to do is add more to my 50 pound limit for the plane anyway <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and call a wrap on episode 49 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. I appreciate everyone joining us, including you, my lovely co-host, Miss Tiffany B. If you all want to reach out to us, find us on the interwebs. You can do so by finding us on Facebook at the League of Nonsensical Gamers. You can shoot us an email at podcast.nonsensicalgamers.com. Head on over to the BGG Guild, number 2077. Ask for a couple of geek gold to get yourself a tiny Meeple Shield micro badge. Join Dan Lakata and the rest of the, the crew our lovely guild users, for some lovely conversation over there. You can leave us a review if you enjoy the show on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and we'll give you a little shout-out on the show because we really do appreciate the reviews. They're a great way to give us feedback. Everyone seems to be enjoying the show, so if you disagree with these four- and five-star givers, you need to get on there and correct us. Also, it helps us shoot up the charts there so that people can find the show and we can you know, get some more recognition and make the show better for all of our lovely listeners. You can also check us out on YouTube. Tiff is doing great work with her vlogging. She's got a vlog up there now and her Board of Education videos, which she does with Board Game Blender over on the Dice Tower. So check those out on YouTube or feel free to hit Tiff up with some suggestions, some questions, or some ideas for some new videos. If you want to reach us, the best place to do that is on Twitter. Tiff, if they want to chat with you about why this show always goes so long... Where can they do that? I'm at Inept Gamer. Tiff, would you agree with the comment that I ramble too much? I think ramble is a little harsh. You just have a lot to say at the end of the show. So we that's have, a yes. We if have you a, want to find Dan, you can do something. <laughs> I, you know, we're very productive people. Give Matt a break. There's three of us. We're all doing stuff. So it's not entirely your fault. Thanks, Tiff. That was a, I don't know if that was comforting, but you tried. I made an effort. Yeah, that's all that matters. If you want to find Dan, you can do so at the league's handle, at League Nonsense. He runs a Twitter, or chat with him personally, at Scandalous underscore Nad. You see what I mean? You're promoting Dan right now. He's not even here. You don't have to do that. Oh. (laughs) All right, so tweet me instead. I'm at Cinnamon Buns, spelled phonetically. You should Thank promote you for... yourself double when Dan's not here. Yeah. You should actually spell out cinnamon buns when he's not here. S-I-N-U-H-M-U-H-N-B-U-H-N-S. Perfect. Great. Edit that out. Thank you all for joining us for episode 49 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. Check us out next week. It'll just be Tiff and Dan running through the news and their Gen Con highlights. See you all then. This is where you say bye, Tiff. Oh. Bye. Bye.